I just saw David boost across to Claudia, and then because they can say it in Spanish, and I was like, oh, I hate not being able to speak every language. Maybe when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, maybe we'll be able to speak and understand every language, so it'll be kind of irrelevant. I don't know. Hopefully we're not speaking English. English is the dumbest language ever, right? All right. Hey, kia ora. Um, buenos dias. Konnichiwa. Takashi-san. Good to see you, eh? Um, I'm pretty excited this morning, sorry, so I'm pretty pumped about my message, so I'm trying to calm my farm. Um, hey, kia ora, podcast people, super good to have you joining us, and especially kia ora people. Hey, video people, just so you know, um, we're having a bit of a change in staff at the moment, and so that's why the video's taking a bit longer to get up, so I'm super sorry. So we're working hard on that, and hopefully in the next week or two we'll get it sorted, and it'll be up Sunday Arvo, so I know sometimes it's not been getting up till kind of Monday afternoon, which is my bad, so... I apologize, but thanks for investing in your relationship with Jesus. So podcast, video people, you are awesome. There's obviously crazy stuff happening on Sunday, but you've taken the time during the week to invest. It's so cool. So shop you. I was thinking this week, gold star to everyone on the podcast or video. Good on you. Everyone here? Silver stars. No, I don't know. <laughs> stars all round. What does it matter, right? All right. Super good. Hey, so we're... Um, this is the last in our Easter series, so if you didn't realize, uh, we've been working through a bunch of these pictures that Briar drew for us, so we've been just working through, there's like four that fitted really good for Easter, and there's a whole bunch for Christmas that we'll do, and some kind of other ones that we're going to mix in. Um, so today we're on to this one, um, which is the last one, which is the, the resurrection one, three days later he rose victorious, defeating sin and death, which I think is pretty cool, right, I'm pretty excited. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday, have you ever thought, um, what was Jesus doing on Saturday? He was dead, but thank you, that's where I'm going. So we don't most of the time, right? We're like, Friday's the cross and the crucifixion and all that, and then Sunday's the resurrection, and it's like, what was he doing on Saturday, just hanging out? So there's a lot of debate around this, and I'm not going to get into this, and if this ticks you off, feel free to call me, text me, whatever you want to do, and we can chat. Um, so a lot of people are like, well, hang on, hang on, when a Christian dies, they go straight into the presence of God, right? So remember Jesus on the cross, says to one of the thieves? Today, you'll be with me in paradise, not soul sleep and then in the future, it's today. And then Paul in Philippians says, he's, ta- he's thinking he's going to die because he's in prison. And he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so it's pretty clear, and there's other verses in First Corinthians 15 and stuff, pretty clear that when a, a believer dies, they go straight to be in the presence of God. So therefore, a lot of people are like, when Jesus died on the cross, and he died, died, his body, open, put him in the grave, but that... The real Jesus, his soul, his spirit, his mind is instantly in the presence of God, which is kind of wild to think about, right? There's other views, but that's an interesting view. Um, But what I was thinking about this week is how stink was Saturday for the disciples? I'll go old school. Oh, that sounds really cool. Kia ora, everyone. How you doing? Good to see you. That's my, like, when I meet plumbers and buildery people in my work, I'm always like, yeah, g'day, mate. Good on you, mate. Cheers, mate. It's my cool, tough guy voice. Anyway. Um, I was thinking this week, like, how, how hard was Saturday for the disciples, right? Because the day after something stink happening is always, like, way worse than the actual day, right? So if you fail an exam on Thursday, Friday just stinks. 
because you get up and you're just like, mm. if you crash your car, which of course I've never done, no, I've done it a bunch. If you crash your car on Thursday, you get up Friday and it's just horrible because you have that whole thing hanging over you. Um, this would have never happened to me, of course, but if someone dumps you in a relationship, so hands up, who, no, I'm joking, we won't do that. Um, if someone dumps you one day, you're gutted, but the next day you get up and you're just like, oh, my life is ending. Give me all the food in the world, right? And I've always thought, man, the disciples, we don't know what they did. So Friday, they run away, right? Friday, all the disciples desert Jesus. And the funniest one is Mark. Does anyone remember what happens to Mark in the garden when they desert Jesus? He's naked. It's real funny. I always love how the Bible records these funny little bits. And it says, and, and a young man, which we know to be Mark, ran away naked. And it's like the soldiers must have grabbed his clothes. And he's just like, whoop, 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 and sprints off. I'm like, whatever. But Saturday, they would have just been down, man. I've been believing that Jesus is the Messiah. They had a warped version of Messiah, but he's the rabbi, he's the teacher. This is going to be awesome, and now he's dead. And they'd get up Saturday, and it'd just be like, oh, what? But then Sunday, you know they give up, right? Because Sunday they all go back to their old jobs, right? So Sunday, they're literally like, well, Jesus is toast. <laughs> what are we going to do? Let's all go on. We were fishermen before this whole rabbi deal, so let's go fishing again. And they go fishing, and... Jesus meets them. So it's this whole like, oh my gosh, this, this worst day ever, but then would be Saturday. But then, and that's why when, you, when Peter sees Jesus, remember he's on the beach and they're fishing? You, you're with me, eh? Remember? And what does Peter do when he sees Jesus on the shore? He jumps out of the boat. <laughs> he's just like, woohoo, it's Jesus. Ah! And he jumps out of the boat and, and boosts off. I'm a lot more excited than you guys, but it's okay. Hey, I want to read um, a little bit here from um, Second Corinthians, to kind of introduce where we're going to go a little bit. Um, where we're going. Second Corinthians 5, verse 14. I just want to think a little bit about the new life that we have uh, as Christians. Um, this morning, I'll, I'll read this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, it's good to follow along. If you've got a Bible or a device, dig it out, eh? Because it's good to follow. I was thinking about it a lot this week. I know this sounds mystical, but I think it's divine. It's like if the Bible really is the Word of God, the Word of Almighty God, which I believe it is, then there's naturally going to be something quite powerful, quite divine when I read it for myself. Does it make sense? So I know I'm going to read it, but if you've got a device, it's good to follow along. Eh? So where are we going? Verses 14 to 17. So <laughs> Paul's been having this funny little argument just before these verses about these these kind of super Christians that are doing amazing things, and some people are following them, and he's like, and I'm not that amazing and stuff. And then he goes into this, and he says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, this new life, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. And then there's this really cool verse. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. And then this is one of my favorite verses here. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Um, oh, I just love that verse. Here's that, that last verse, verse 17, um, on the screen, right? I love this. Look at that. Whoa, no, it's not. I need to do my clicking. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Um, just kind of a side note. Some of us in this room haven't been a Jesus person for long. And when you read a verse like that, you're like, man, yeah, this is cool. I, I remember the change. 
on the other hand, some of us have been Jesus people forever. <laughs> and it's really easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, new life. And kind of miss the excitement of it, right? So just in a couple of things I'm going to talk about this morning. If you're an old Christian, in quotes, if you know what I mean, I just encourage you to be thinking this morning. What does it mean that you have new life, that the old is gone, that the lost way, the you being the boss, the how do I know what's coming, I'm scared for the future, is gone because now you have this new life. Jesus loves you. He's guiding you, directing you, speaking to you. It's this new life. I love it, eh? Okay, so I just got a couple of um, pretty quick points. Here's the first one. Uh, New life in Christ brings total forgiveness, right? New life in Christ brings total forgiveness. I talked about this a lot last week. So last week I was doing, talking a lot about forgiveness in, in the biggest sense of the word, that when a person moves into a relationship with God, and one of the things I said is for a lot of people that's a journey, right? For a lot of people it's not they prayed the prayer or said the words or came forward in a service. For a lot of people it's quite a journey over weeks, months, years, right, to, to move into that relationship with God. But when that person does, then their sin, big picture, is gone, removed forever and ever, right? Past, present, and future because Jesus died on the cross for sin, not for your individual sins. You with me, eh? You with me? Man, thanks. For th- I love the feedback in this church. It's just life-changing. Um, so when we talk about big picture forgiveness for our sin, we know that's sorted. That's part of this new life. But at the same time, there's a really cool aspect to God's forgiveness that is, is individual because every time I sin, it messes up the relationship with God, Right? It doesn't remove me from, from his grace or anything, but when I sin, it messes up the relationship with God. And I'm going to look at my favorite verses around forgiveness ever in the Bible. And I love the, the, the intricacy of it, the intimacy of it between Jesus and one of his disciples in this just beautiful forgiveness. Now, was that disciple big picture forgiven on the cross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when that disciple sinned, it, it breaks that relationship. It harms that relationship. And I love the intentionality of God to bring that, that relational forgiveness. Are you with me, eh? Okay, there's a lot of freaky people looking at me. I'm freaking out now, TV. I mean, like your faces are like, I'm getting scared. All right, let's read this. Eh? This is Mark 16. Um, I love this. I was thinking about it this week. I kind of cheat as a pastor because I read cool verses in the Bible, and I'm like, ooh, I want to share that with the church. Whereas heaps of you read cool verses, and you're like, who do I... Uh, uh, maybe text a friend, whereas I'm like, haha, I get to share it with a whole pile of people. <laughs> it's kind of cool being a pastor. Although maybe this is a bad one, you can tell me afterwards. All right, Mark 16, 5 to 7. Um, so this is when um, Jesus has died and he's been buried, and this is Easter um, Sunday morning, right? Uh, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The woman was shocked. <laughs> Understatement of the year, right? They go in there. Um, they're, ex- they're freaking out. Who can even roll away the stone? They're expecting to see a dead body. And instead, there's an angel sitting there going, kia ora. <laughs> so cool. Maybe not kia ora, I don't know. And I love the response, eh? Don't be alarmed, <laughs> as if that makes it all okay, because you've just seen this glowing angel. Um, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. <laughs> He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. And, and this is the bit I love. Remember, we're thinking about forgiveness. Now, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, <laughs> that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before he died. I just love the, the especially Peter bit, right? Because <laughs> what did Peter do two nights before this? All the disciples ran away. All the disciples did, deserted Jesus. But what did Peter do? Yeah, denied three times. He swore, he cursed. 
that he didn't even know who Jesus was. Now, remember I said how bad the disciples would have felt on Saturday? You imagine how bad he felt. <laughs> imagine when he woke up Saturday morning, because we're going to read a bit in a minute. In a minute, When he woke up Saturday morning, it would just be like, oh, my, my friend, my, my rabbi, my teacher. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him walk on water. I walked on water with him, and I just turn my back on him, I, you know, like you just feel destroyed, and I just love how God, through the angels, has made a special point of saying, make sure you talk to Peter, go to the disciples, but especially Peter, right, restoration, you with me, eh, restoration is so beautiful, um, these next verses to me, arguably, are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible talking about human relationships, so we're still talking about Peter, but um, but look at this, because this, <laughs> so in this verse, you're going to see someone look at someone, and, and the question is, what does the look look like? What's in their eyes? What's in their face when they look at this person when you read this, right? So we're still talking about forgiveness, so here we'll see on the screen. Luke 22, 60 to 62, but Peter said, man, this is his denial, right? Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. <laughs> um, you guys remember I just hours before this, Jesus has said, you're all going to desert me. Remember in the, in the upper room? And Peter, the man, <laughs> is like, uh, he's such an arrogant, I mean, all, no disrespect, but total disrespect. He's such an arrogant jerk, right? Do you know what he says in response? Oh, even if everyone else deserts you, I'm not going to desert you. I'd even die for you, Jesus. He's the man. And then a couple of hours later, he's swearing and cursing, Jesus, I don't know this, Jesus. What are you talking about? And it's, it's just like, oh, bro. Um, but that look, eh, that look from Jesus. So they're in the courtyard. Jesus is being questioned by the high priest and so on, and Somehow, at that moment that Peter does that third denial and the rooster crows, Jesus catches his eye, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. How bad would Peter feel inside denying? Because he's afraid. He's scared for his life. But then when he catches Jesus' eye, right? Um, and, and the question I said for you to think about is, what do you think Jesus' face looked like? What did Jesus' eyes look like? Was it disgust? Was it judgment? Was it really... And the answer's like, no, 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 it's love, of course. Jesus is always love. <laughs> and I imagine when he looked at, at Peter, there's like tears in his eyes. He's like, oh, I knew this was coming, but I love you, bro. I love you, you know. And I love how then you fast forward to that morning and it's the angels through God are saying, and don't forget to tell Peter, tell the disciples, but especially Peter. <laughs> I love that, eh? I love that. It's that... that special, um, that special restoration, right? That special restoration, eh? I don't know. Um, you see it again over in um, 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible, jump over there real quick. Um, 1 Corinthians 15. And this is a bit of a debatable um, bit here, but... It's, I just find it interesting because, again, Peter's singled out for this kind of restoration. Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, where we go in verses 3 to 5, um, Paul's writing, so Paul's talking, and he says, I passed on to you what was most important. 
and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, <laughs> just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then he, next verse, he was seen by Peter, comma, <laughs> and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more 500 followers. And, and Ros read this really good before. Um, I, I love this again. It's, it's that Peter is really singled out. Now, some people argue this is on the beach. So some people say it's not a special side meeting. It's just when Peter sees Jesus, he jumps out of the boat and he, he races forward. Um, but it seems to be such a clear indication in that Mark verse he read and then here that there's this special meeting. And so a lot of people think before the beach, Jesus has personally met with Peter somehow. <laughs> to restore him. He doesn't want to do it in front of the disciples because the embarrassment and the shame and the humiliation would just be extreme. But there's a special meeting between Jesus and Peter. And I'm just like, oh. so whether it's a separate meeting, whether it's on the beach, I just love how there's this, this importance of restoration because that's God's core, right? That's Jesus' core is forgiveness and restoration always, right? So kind of a side thought on this. The Bible is really clear when it, it, it associates um, our forgiveness from God with our forgiveness for others, right? And you see it in the Lord's Prayer, right? So you guys, we say the Lord's Prayer all the time, right? And there's that line in the middle, um, forgive us our sins as, and that's like a huge word, as we forgive others. And so the idea is very clear, and you see it in a lot of other passages, that there is a very clear connection between the forgiveness that God gives me and my forgiveness of others. Now, again, I'm not saying the big, sin forgiveness, but it's this relational forgiveness. And this makes sense, right? So Josephine's my wife, and I can pick on her and then sleep on the couch if I get carried away. It's all good. We have a really good couch, so it would break my heart to sleep on the couch because I love my wife, just to clarify. Um, sorry? Sunday afternoon snoozes, that's why, yeah. Anyway, so I'm trying to illustrate this, this relational forgiveness. If I'm angry with Jose and I refuse to forgive her, I'm holding bitterness in my heart, right? I'm holding anger, I'm holding resentment, I'm holding something in my heart. So if that's how I'm acting towards Joe, who's my wife, or a friend or whatever, then if I'm holding that kind of anger, then the same thing is between me and God. There's, the, there's a sin between me and God, right? You with me, eh? I don't think it's rocket science. And so what, what um, the Lord's Prayer is saying and, and other verses are saying is that he forgives us as we forgive others. When I forgive Jose, the feeling of change in my heart is just incredible when you forgive someone. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But when, I mean big things. When you forgive that person, it's just like, there's a change. Why? Because you're connected, but because your soul connection with the creator of the universe just changed as well. Makes sense, eh? Okay. Um. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. This kind of this kind of makes sense, I think, with what I'm saying. I'm a big C.S. Lewis junkie, by the way. Oh, it's going crazy. I'll read it to you. Um, C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, <laughs> because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I love that. I'll read it again. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. <laughs> I love it. Now, let me read a story, and then I'm going to hit you with a really heavy challenge, so hold on to your seats. So this story, um, heaps of you will have heard this. I've heard this story a bunch of times. It's a true story, but I'd never heard the end. And then when I read the end this week, I was like, oh, my gosh. It's about bursting the tears. So context, um, this is about Corey Ten Boom. So most of you will know Corey Ten Boom was a 
um, in a concentration camp during World War II in Nazi Germany, and the things the guards did to her and the others is just off the charts. It's beyond evil, right? If you want to read more, let me know, and I can and send you some articles. It's just, it's literally unbelievable, inhumane, what they did, right? And in that concentration camp, her sister, Betsy, died, right? So let me read this story. This is all about forgiveness, but it's, it's pretty powerful. Let me read this. After the defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II, Holocaust survivor and Christian Corey Ten Boom returned to Germany to declare the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. One evening after giving her message, she was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard from the concentration camp at Raisenbrook, where she'd been held and where her sister Betsy had died. When Corey saw the man's face, she recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards from the camp. He reached out his hand and said to her, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? <laughs> About this encounter, Corey writes, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult, difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prime condition that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. As she, re as she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey said that something incredible took place. And she continues, The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. I had never known love so intensely as I did then, but even then, I realized it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amazing story, eh? Amazing story. Um, I say this next bit really, really carefully. Um, to journey this life with unforgiveness just destroys you. <laughs> it, it's a component of your soul. It's a component of who you are that is broken and hurt <laughs> and hurting. Um, and I've told you this before, so I was sexually abused terribly, like off the charts as a kid. Um, I had an extended family member who was verbally abusive basically my whole life, like really horrible verbal abuse. Um, and it took me years to get to a place to, to really forgive them. So I'm not for a second saying, you know, I'm going to pray in a minute, and may God, you know, I'm not meaning that. It's a, it's a journey, but the feeling to be able to forgive someone is just life-changing because it's that connection with God again, right? It's that soul connection with God, not just us. So I'm going to pray. I've got a little bit more to say. Um, I'm going to pray, though, for you if, if you're someone who is carrying some unforgiveness. And again, I'm not saying, come on, sort it out, because it doesn't work like that. But I am saying maybe you could begin the journey towards forgiving that person, right? 
And that's between you and Jesus, right? That, yeah. Let me, let me pray for you. Uh, let me pray for us. Yeah. Yeah, kia ora atua. Um, yeah, the, when you made us, so you know what it's like to, to carry unforgiveness. And some of us in this room, some listening on the podcast or on the video, the, the, the hurt that was done to them is off the charts, God. It's not someone cut me off in traffic. It's like life-changing, soul-breaking, crushing hurt. And we carry that. We, we hold that. Um, we, we long to get to a place of forgiveness, God. And, and I believe you're the only one that can get us to that place. And I know sometimes you do it in an instant. You do because you're God. But so often it's a journey of process and prayer and maybe talking to someone and, and wrestling with it. But to get to that place, to be able to look back at someone who hurt us and harmed us so horribly, and not condone what they did or anything stupid, but to be like, I really forgive you. It's, it's crazy, God, because of it weighs our soul. So anyway, I call out to you now. In the name of Jesus, for anyone who's just carrying that burden of unforgiveness, God, I really do pray that maybe this is the beginning, maybe this is the middle, the end, I don't know, of that journey towards them being able to honestly forgive that person, not condone at all, but to forgive them, God. We, we, we long for it, eh? Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the huge effort, in quotes, you took to restore Peter, God. We want to be people that restore and be restored. Yeah, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And obviously, if you want to talk, more than happy to talk. Um, Joe, any of the leadership team would love to talk through stuff like that with you, but huge. All right. Hey, um, so that's the first point. That's pretty heavy, right? Forgiveness. New life brings forgiveness. Um, here's the second one. New life in Christ removes fear, right? Um, and I'm just going to talk about run little. This is a short bit if you're freaking out. Um, removes fear. And I just had a weird conversation with a bunch of people over the last few weeks around fear of death. And so I thought, one of the things that we just naturally fear as humans is, is death. But there's a catch to it, right? So let me explain it. Um, so most of you know my mum died a couple of years ago. So Easter is stinks for me and my two sisters because my dad died Easter Thursday and my mum died like a week and a half after Easter. So whenever we get to April, we're always like, <laughs> and we text each other, April stinks. We don't like Easter. I and mean, we love Easter for the Jesus stuff, but we hate it for all the the heavy memories it, it takes. So anyway, mum died a couple of, right at the beginning of that first lockdown we had of, of COVID, and I was able to get up to be with her. She was in Kitty and so I went up to, to stay with at my sister's house. Mum was real sick, so we'd moved her to my sister's house. And I was able to be there for the last week and a few days of her passing away. And um, pretty much every morning, I'd go into her room and just read some verses. She was a real hard-out Christian um, her whole life. Well, not her whole life, but when she became a Christian. And so anyway, I'd go in and read some verses with her and pray with her and we'd talk about God and stuff. And one morning I was joking with her because I'm such a funny guy about how I was jealous of her dying, which she got, luckily. It was one of those, this could turn to custard, but it was okay. And I said, I'm really jealous of you dying, to be honest. This planet is nuts <laughs> and getting crazier by the minute. And within days, you're literally going to see Jesus. And I was like, I'm jealous of that. And mum was like, she was really funny too. And she was like, ha ha. Well, we can't swap places, and I'm going to see Jesus before you, and it was really cool and stuff. Um, but then she said, and this is the bit where I, I don't think we're afraid of death. She goes, I'm not afraid of dying at all, because I know the second I die, I'm with God. And she's like, and that is going to be awesome. But she said, it's the journey to get there that I dread. 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think for a lot of us, we're not afraid of the, the actual death. We're afraid of that days, weeks, months, years, depending on, on what's going to take us. That's what we fear. That's what we dread. That's what we're like, ooh, this is scary. You know what I mean, eh? Yeah, I mean, death is still horrible, but as Christians, we're like, like I'm, I go way too extreme. Dose tells me off all the time because I'm like, man, I just want to get out of this stupid planet and be with Jesus. Woohoo! I can't wait to die. Yeah, death, death. And Dose is like, whoa, you shouldn't say that. And I'm like, well, pull it back, Craig, pull it back. <laughs> okay, you guys know this, um, Psalm 23. If you've got your Bible, jump over there. I, I say Psalm 23. I, I memorize it. I quote it like, oh, I don't know, many times a day because I just love this psalm. Um, and I was going to quote it, but I was like, no, I'm going to read it because I'll mess it up and get myself in trouble. Um, verse 4, you guys know verse 4 super well, and I, I just love this. Eh? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, and he's talking about death, obviously, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And I've heard heaps of sermons on this, and heaps of people focus on the rod and staff. And you guys know eh? the rod was a, a short stick, maybe this long, with usually a knot at the end of it. And it was for discipline. If a sheep was being a plonker, you're like, or if it's getting out of line, you're like, you know, keeping in line with the stick, right? And then the other one, the staff is the long kind of crook one. And so if you needed to sort out a sheep that had a, a sore leg or it's fly blowing or anything, you could catch it around the neck or around the foot with that. And, and a lot of people are like, that's why we don't interfere death because we have a God that disciplines us, keeps us in line, and he hooks us in. And I'm like, yeah, 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 but the cool verse is the middle one. <laughs> I will not be afraid. Forget the rod and the staff. I don't know that's important because you're close beside me. And that's the bit that I just love, right? And that's the bit as Christians we've just got to hold on to. It's like, yeah, death is scary, but it's the journey to death that's the real scary part. But the cool part for us is we just don't do that alone. We do that with Jesus. He's never going to leave us. I'm not afraid because God is with me. That's the bit I love, eh? Um, same thing in this, these verses from Hebrews. Um, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. I talked about that last week, right? Jesus had to be human to be our substitute. He couldn't be a super powerful angel and die in our place. He had to be human. That's what the writer's saying. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I love that, eh? I love that. Okay, a couple of questions for you all. Um, I did the youth talk a couple of weeks ago, and I joked with them, come on, we're smart people. Surely we can figure out a better way to get rid of our sin than having to sacrifice Jesus on the cross, because that seems pretty extreme, right? There must be a better way. So we thought about it. So here's some questions for you all. Um, let me read them, and then I'll explain what we're going to do. So the first one, so just choose one. You won't have time to do them all. We'll stop for a couple of minutes, but you might want to choose the first one. Apart from Jesus' sacrifice, what could you do or buy, or give to God, that would be enough for him to remove your sin. So maybe think wild. I've done this before with people, and often it involves angels and weird things like that. So maybe you want to think about that one. It's just weird. Um, that was kind of a joke one, but have fun with it. But everyone's looking at me like, bro, what is this heresy you're preaching? But whatever. Um, next one. These are the serious ones. Why do people find it so hard to forgive another person? What's at the core of forgiveness? And then the last one. Why do many religions go to works for salvation? Why is salvation... We earn easier to have than one that's a gift. So all religions other than Christianity have works. You've got to earn your way. So why do, why do humans love earning their way to salvation rather than it being a free gift from God? So if you're a visitor, 
um, what we do now is we're just going to have a bit of a chat. And so people around you will grab you and talk. But the rule is always, if you don't want to talk to the people, maybe God's speaking to you and you just want to process this, then stare at the screen. So if you're looking at the screen, no one will bug you. But if you're not looking at the screen, if you're looking around, then people are going to pounce on you and have a chat. So grab a few people around you, have a little talk for a couple of minutes, and then we'll finish up. Okay, kia ora. How you doing? Uh, what do you think? Any ideas on any of those questions? Jake the man. Yeah, that's cool. So Jake and Anna, an extended human. Are they saying um, a lot of this is Satan, the forgiveness one. So sometimes the reason why we find it so hard to forgive is because Satan knows that if we hold unforgiveness, it's going to slowly weaken our relationship with God. So he wants to do all he can to keep us in a place of unforgiveness because when we forgive, it draws us back to God. So shot team. That's cool. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, Jade's saying forgiveness is, is hard sometimes because it feels like they're getting away with it. And it's really cool in life to have someone to blame for <laughs> bad stuff. But when you forgive them, it's like, darn it. <laughs> and you can still kind of blame them. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, so Naomi's saying once you forgive someone now, you have that responsibility to heal. And it's not their job to come and ask, which that's a huge part of forgiveness because you don't even have to talk to the person. So like in my story, I said before, one of the people I needed to forgive had died. So I couldn't go to them and be like, hey, will you forgive me? It was just a, a thing between me and God. So, And now you've got that responsibility to grow and heal and move on. Maybe one more thought, anyone, or is it just you? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah, that's, see, Steve is super wise. So Steve said, at the core of being humans, we're selfish. <laughs> and the core of forgiveness is to be selfless, which is really cool. That's a cool way of saying it, eh? Yeah. Ah, cool. All right. Um, let me finish. So I want to finish with this um, quote. So this is a little bit of a sideways step, but I've got the microphone. I can do what I want. I love this. I read this um, on a website, an Anglican website this week, and I was like, ooh, this is just a cool way to, to kind of finish. I don't know. If you don't agree, say hello, because I love this. Okay, one interesting observation about the resurrection is that everyone's running to the tomb or running to tell others about it. No one runs in the New Testament, except at the end. At the promise of the resurrection and the news of the resurrection, everyone starts running. The disciples are running all over the place. They're outrunning each other. John, you remember the John kind of outrunning Peter? It's so funny. To get there first or be the first to tell others. Christian, well done, Ian. 